This is the Doctor Who podcast, and you are most welcome. In this episode of the Doctor Who podcast, we will be considering our least favourite episodes of the 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th and 11th Doctor's eras. Hello everyone, welcome to the Doctor Who Podcast. We certainly have a very, very, very big task ahead of us today, critiquing some of our less than favourite episodes from the latter half of the uh, Doctor Who era, both classic and modern, and I couldn't think of a better person to find some of the stuff that's at the bottom of the Doctor Who barrel than my mate Tom. (laughs) Hello, thank you very much. (laughs) I'm sure between us we can dredge right down to the bottom and find those slightly putrescent stories that no one really likes to talk about that don't rate very high in many people's uh, top tens <laughs> or even top 500s. Well, okay, well, obviously the Eighth Doctor was a bit of a, tr- was, was a little bit difficult to do, but but for me, it was all about what's my least favourite episode, because I like them all. I mean, it's that, it's that old saying, isn't it? Bad Doctor Who is better than no Doctor Who. That's very true. And in, and, and in this case, you know, with, with the sixth and seventh eras, and then the eighth era as well, there's the wilderness years. So, however little we liked the stories that we picked, it was better than wandering about for like six and seven years. That we, but it doesn't... Well, that's the, that's true. <laughs> but the first thing I wanted to have a, just a quick chat to you about Tom is mm-hmm. uh, Michelle and James's sometimes uh, bewildering choices from last week's episode, where they looked at Doctors one through five. Have you got any thoughts on? their least favourite stories from that part of Doctor Who. Well, I feel for James, as he said, the job of picking a least favourite Troughton story is a hard one. I don't think I would have gone with the Highlanders, if I'm honest, but I can kind of see why Michelle would go for the underwater menace. But once again, I come back to this thing, it's a question of least favourite. You know, I think as Doctor Who fans, we like it all. I know there are some fans who, who... seem to torture themselves by forcing themselves to watch stuff that they really don't like me if I don't like it I just don't watch it again the Leisure Hive personally I can see why because it's such a massive change of gear and I remember watching it the first time around and thinking well it looks different it sounds different why is the costume different it's all it's all changed um but but at the same time change is the the nature of the show I'm surprised by image of the Fendal from Michelle because I'm actually in the middle of watching that again now um because I never understood it and I thought this is it's rubbish now I'm actually watching it again it's like this is great Mm, it is it is that would be nowhere near the bottom end of my fourth doctor stuff what Mm. what i found really interesting was um listening to michelle throughout this episode Mm. um she she made a lot of her choices based on her um limited exposure to certain doctors she hasn't seen a lot of the early era Mm. but it was really interesting some of the later comments she made about stories that she didn't like because the doctor in it wasn't playing the doctor Interesting, and, and that was particularly true of stories like Castro Valva, which mm. she chose as her least favorite Fifth Doctor story. Mm. She doesn't like that, not because it's necessarily a bad story, I think, but because it didn't have the Doctor in it for her. Well, certainly not for three quarters of it, anyway. Yeah, that make, that makes sense to me. Great, I think it's great that she, that she has that perspective because it means two things. Number one, um, there's still a load of Doctor Who to discover, and this and this to, to me for a new fan, this is possibly the golden ticket. If you've only got into the new series so far, there is so much of the old series mm. for you to go. Back back through and you're not obliged to like it you can say well i don't like this um but mm. but it all informs the current series i mean imagine how much 
how, how someone would feel if they've only seen the rebel flesh and gangers um, and then suddenly they get to go back and suddenly and hear Tom Baker and see where all those references come from that's you know that, that's got to be a, that's got to be a gift I tell you it, it, it would be a gift I mean I, I mean if I was able to get I suppose one wish from a magic genie bottle mm. it would be to forget every doctor episode I've ever seen mm. and go back and watch them again because I'm really envious of people like Michelle they, they get to sit down and watch even now you know in the age where everything's so readily available in mm. one format or another, they get to watch something for the first time, and that is so rare. Yeah, I hear you. It's so rare for, you know, sort of people like us who've seen it all and, you know, <laughs> watched it all 50 times. All right, well, on to uh, Tom and I's least favourites from the 6th Doctor through to the 11th Doctor. <laughs> Well, we'll start with the Sixth Doctor, of course, and um, James kind of loaded it a bit last week when he said there are so many choices mm. that we will have from this particular time of Doctor Who from the Sixth Doctor onwards to choose from. Mm. But I actually found it was quite the opposite to a certain extent. Like you say, Tom, it's difficult to really not like a story and call it your least favourite. Um, if, if I'm going to choose a story for the Sixth Doctor that I like the least, it would have to be where it all started with the Twin Dilemma. Wow. Reason for that too, I think, um, and we've talked a little bit about, I know James and I talked about it when we did our um, J&T retrospective episode together. Mm. Um, Twin Dilemma itself, I think, could have survived if it was part of a season that featured Colin Baker exclusively, I suppose. But because we got Twin Dilemma at the end of the Davison era, after Caves of Androzani, which is a stellar story, then we were presented with this four-episode twin dilemma with maggots in it, with the Doctor acting nowhere near the, you know, the Doctor that we're used to that we'd seen for the previous three or four years with Davison. Um, and then not only that, but then fandom had nine months to stew over it. Mm. They sat there and they wrung their hands together and they whinged about it, which I think made it a lot worse. Um, and that's the kind of camp I do, because I know Australian fandom here suffered greatly because we'd seen Twin Dilemma and we didn't see any more Colin Baker for nine months. So for me, Twin Dilemma is the worst Colin Baker story because while there's some fantastic ideas in there about where this Doctor is heading, I think it was too much too soon. Uh, there was too much violence. There was too much erraticness. There, there was too much dramatic change in direction style-wise, I think. Okay, I hear what you're saying, I mean, but like, you know, leave us not forget. I mean, what we've got with Doctor Who is a number of traditions, and it seems seemed up until that point the tradition was the Doctor would regenerate at the end of a season, and then the first Doctor sweeps in uh, with uh, with his whole. In some cases, in colour; in other cases, with a load of manic energy; in other cases, uh, in Michelle's least favourite story, with a with with a certain amount of doubt. Uh, but you know, but let's let's not forget the first regeneration took place in the middle of a season, so we had time to get used to it. But for the reasons that you suggest, I. Can see where you're coming from. It's bold, it's ambitious, it's got a lot to do. And as Doctor Who fans, we expect a new Doctor's first story to be strong, to be engaging, to be in all ways out something spectacular. And in this one, well, the money had run out, it, it was confusing, it was, it seemed to be all over the place, um, and it just seemed to be average Doctor Who. And that's not what you want for your first story. Yeah, it's it's just such a quantum shift of Caves of Androzani. You've got characters in Caves like Shara's Jack, like Morgus, who mm. were incredible. And then you get Twin Dilemma. You've got, you know, Womulus and Wemus. <laughs> and, and you've got, you know, their uh, father, who's a wetter than a wet haddock. 
And then you've got these maggots running around. You've got these guys with weird haircuts. and uh, It was too much of a shock. It's, it, Even now, it's, it's just hard to believe that this story was ever made. It comes over like mid-season Doctor Who rather than end, rather than mm, end-of-season finale. Mm. And certainly, it's less than what you would wish for a new lead actor in his opening story. Colin's performance is fantastic. I, I don't know if I agree, actually. Edgeworth, Morris Denham, uh, so the Doctor's friend and teacher who pushed him into a fountain. But, I mean, there's some lovely character development moments. But yeah, I, I, I agree with you. For, your, for, for the first story, it, it needs to be colossal. It needs to be technicolor. It, it needs to be more special than it actually was. I think it's just because the money had run out, to be honest with you. Mm. What's your choice, Tom? I'm, I'm dying to hear. Well, see, this is the, it's interesting that you've gone for, for, the, for the beginning of Colin's tenure because my least favourite story is uh, The Ultimate Foe. So the story that finishes his tenure. For me, I say it's a mess. Of course it's a mess. There are three writers involved there. The mighty Robert Holmes unfortunately passes away whilst he's constructing this episode. And Pip and Jane Baker, who have a very specific reputation in fandom, it must be said, do something which is very, very difficult, which is to pick up in the middle of someone else's story and finish it for them but it's just it's a train wreck I, I thought I was being a bit thick and slow when I first watched it because I thought there's something I've missed here that they're all saying they're lined and they all seem to know what they're talking about maybe it's just me but, <laughs> I, but I discover years later that no even the actors had no idea what was going on and, and Pip and Jane had to be constantly involved explaining what they were talking about of course there's also that deathless line of the megabyte modem oh save me but and, and, <laughs> and in the middle of this Colin's doing his absolute level best to hold it all together I mean there's a direct quote to the deadly assassin in that little drowning scene where Colin's drowning on dry land the ideas are there but it's a hodgepodge it's a mess the Time Lord secrets apparently live, uh, live in film the master's got a halo there's just uh, uh, no no yeah. um, it's Colin I'm so sorry he, he's a lovely person a wonderful actor and it will you know he must have it tattooed a great ambassador for the show but mm. this story does not serve him well and you know and it's not for, for the lack of trying he's been on trial for however long that season goes on for and at the end it's sort of like oh well never mind it was all a dream all along and uh, never mind doctor see you in a bit bye <laughs> what yeah i mean it's it's a shame knowing what we know now because i agree with you i mean when i watched it back in the 80s it was a case of well Maybe I'm just not understanding it, but apparently no one else did either, no. as you've just validated for me, Tom. Thank you very much. Um, but certainly now seeing you know, like um, some of the fantastic documentaries on the Trial of the Time Lord box set, mm. just the trouble they had. And like you said, Tom, they, would, they just ran out of time. Yep. They had to get Pip and Jane Baker in to pretty much churn out an episode in an afternoon or four days, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And it just came out the mess that I suppose, at the end of the day, it so rightly deserved to be due, due to the time constraint. Yeah, bearing in mind some of the comments I made a few weeks ago about um, being part of the audience and being part of the production team, it's a very difficult job to do. And if your writer dies partway through the production, then okay, you've got problems. Plus, mm. Doctor Who was not in favour at the time. Its style was in, the, it was in Descent in a very clear way around the BBC and all of that channels into this particular episode the confusion the worry the lack of focus it's all right there in the same way as you know, uh, you know if someone's not feeling very well they have, they have issues in their life and they're worried about one thing um, that can manifest itself in other ways and I think the problems that the production was having at this time is manifested inside of the ultimate foe and again it's just such a well, pity is not the right word. It's disgraceful that this is the last appearance on screen of the Sixth Doctor. Mm-hmm. 
So we'll move swiftly on into the Seventh Doctor era. Mm-hmm. And um, Tom, I think it's your turn to go first. Okay, that can work for me. So the, the show which I am least fond of in the Seventh Doctor era, and this is actually quite hard, uh, was Delta and the Bannermen. Now, mm. here's the thing. Watching a show, listening to a piece of music, reading a book is a two-way street. You know, you get out of it what you put in, and you bring certain things to the experience. Uh, and at this time in my life, I was n- the stuff I was bringing to Doctor Who was not what I'd been bringing when it was Tom Baker's era. So I'd grown up a little bit. I don't know what I expected from Doctor Who, but whatever it was, I wasn't getting it. And when I saw Ken Dodd giving what I see now as a, a superbly over-the-top performance, it fits the production. It was just odd. Embarrassing, strange. Yeah. Yeah. There's a flying bus. They're in a holiday camp. Um, why is the doctor acting so strange? What's this woman doing? Singing? Who's the girl on the motorbike? In fact, it's not that difficult to understand, but it just felt like all of the weirdest elements, all the lightest, the most comedic elements of Doctor Who. Now, I understand the production for this was very happy. The cast and crew got on supremely well, and they had a, and they had a lovely time. But that seems to be at the expense of the story. It's a very straightforward runaround. Um, we are chasing the queen of the alien race, and we are. Uh, evil mercenary soldier the doctor gets in the middle and sorts it out okay i get that but it seems very light but it just doesn't feel cohesive to me as i say this is not about bad doctor who this is about my least favorite and for the simple reason that it seems so light and it seems so ephemeral and i can't and i find it hard to take it seriously i have to say delta and the bannerman i I would probably tend to agree with you again not not that that (laughs) is my worst choice believe it or not but when i first watched it I felt there was something missing, like there were scenes missing from it. And I get that same feeling when I watch Silver Nemesis as well, Mm. that even with the extended cut for Silver Nemesis, I still think there's stuff missing that was never filmed, that we're not being told. And I kind of got that way with Delta, because it's a little bit choppy for me. Mm. There are so many little character moments. There's those two comedians... The ones that play the um, American agents, you know, the bumbling American agents. Stubby K, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, two castings that were totally lost over here in the colonies. Um, but yeah, they just jump from various things to another, the holiday camp to these two, back to the doctor, then you get the beekeeper involved. Yeah, it just felt incredibly choppy to me. And when it starts getting choppy, you feel like you're missing out on something, mm. that you're not really going to get the full story. Mm-hmm. And by the time we got to the end of the episode, I think where um, the secret agent who was masquerading as one of the tour participants makes his call to his superiors, mm. uh, that... that pretty much lost me for the rest of the story as far as I was concerned. I feel kind of disingenuous complaining about it, but at the same time, it, it feel, to me it's Doctor Who by numbers. And to be, uh, In fact, I'll go further than that. I'll go further and say it feels like the most American plottings of Doctor Who before the movie. I.e., you've yeah. got, on the one hand, you've got, you've got, okay, here is the pretty queen who's fleeing from these nasty mercenaries. The Doctor will get involved in the middle and it all takes place in a holiday camp. It just feels like, uh, almost like Quantum Leap does Doctor Who. You know, it, it's odd. It does, doesn't it? Because, I mean, I mean, they even make it worse by having all the songs in it, which make it feel like an American prom mm. Uh, mm. film. You've got Doctor Who's version of dramatic bike chases, mm. which, again, car and bike chases are a very American thing and, and of course, featured in the telly movie. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, I, I'm pretty much on board with what you say, I'm afraid, Tom. But, unfortunately... Uh-huh. It's not my worst or least favourite story from the Sylvester McCoy era. So what are you saying? Um, this, well, for me, I'll have to go back to the first story oh. of Sylvester McCoy, Time and the Rani. Now, um, yeah. and, and again, I think it suffers from the same thing that Twin Dilemma does, that they're starting off a new Doctor, but they have absolutely no idea mm. what to do with that Doctor. They, they throw everything by the kitchen sink in there. 
the Doctor's characterization is totally off the wall. It is totally different to what we see even in the rest of that season. Mm. For me, it was too much too soon again. Mm. Just too much of a dramatic shift. You, you should still be able to recognise the Doctor there, even if he's got an entirely new body. But that's the whole point, though. He he has got a new body, but the, you used this phrase once before, the holiest of holies regeneration, and it's <laughs> it, it's comedy. It's a comedy regeneration. But again, that's for reasons that, that we know, that Colin decided or was quite adamant about not returning for a regeneration story or even a regeneration scene. Mm. So they had to make do with what they had and had Sylvester McCoy in a wig. Mm. Now, back in the VHS era, you could kind of get away with that because you couldn't really make out what was going on. Mm. But now it's on DVD and people are seeing it on digital television. It looks like Sylvester McCoy in a wig. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good way to start a story. What One, one positive for the story actually too which I think also started in the previous season with the Trial of a Time Lord season, was I really started noticing the special effects were of, of a much higher quality. Oh, yes. In the trial season, we were getting those fantastic shots of the, of the spaceship where the trial was taking place. Mm. In Time and the Rani, there, there was that fantastic opening scene with the, with the TARDIS being uh, presumably shot at by the Rani mm. um, and then landing on the planet, plus when Mel was trapped in that bubble. Mm. Um, all all that was really quite top notch mm. special effects for the period, and I sort of looked at it and went, "My goodness, the the BBC are actually throwing a bit of money at this show now." Mm. But it was then let down by pretty much everything else. Well, but perhaps it's a question of expectations, isn't it? You know, as, as I say, you know, a, a Doctor's first story should be a fanfare. The Doctor's last story should be a bow, um, and. Colin's last story, well, it, it, it was just very unsatisfying. It's like someone's got up halfway through a meal and just left and not come back without any, with no explanation. <laughs> um, and this first story, it's like, well, hang on a minute. The, the main course has arrived, but who, who are you? And why are you acting mm. so weird? Why are you wearing his clothes? What, what's going on? Not helped by some of the dialogue. And again, I, you know, we should maybe try and get hold of Pip and Jane Baker and see if we can't talk to them, because... I recognise it's a very skillful thing that they had to do, and it's very de- because mm. they didn't know who the main character was going to be. They didn't know That's what right. they were gonna, how how he was going to play. But then we have to ask the question: To what extent should um, should you allow the the problems of a production to be reflected within the production itself? Um, you know, these are professional people. I mean, I can't make TV, and if I tried to, it'd be completely obvious because I wouldn't know how to handle these things. But these are professionals. Surely there should be some way of smoothing this out. But perhaps, and maybe that's the point, perhaps this is the smoothest they could make it given the earthquake that was taking place inside the production at the time. Hurriedly moving on from the uh, guy with the hat and the umbrella we'll move on to the guy in the uh, Wyatt Earp costume, uh, <laughs> Paul McGann. Now, you've probably already figured out Paul McGann's only ever done one televised story. So what we've decided to do is we've decided to pick out our least favourite bit from the telly movie um, mm. and share that with each other. Because for me personally, I love the telly movie. I, I think it's a really enjoyable story. And okay. A lot of people don't think that. But mm-hmm. Tom, I, I would really be keen to hear what your least favourite bit from the telly movie is. Well, this is an interesting one because it, it addresses it addresses the things that we've complained about in the sixth and seventh Doctor's eras. In as much as at least he gets a, the Doctor gets a good regeneration, Sylvester McCoy gets to bow out gracefully, and the new Doctor gets a fanfare. You know that all of time and space in peril. Well, that's a fanfare. Deal with that. Uh, at the same time, modern Doctor Who is invented. Suddenly, the Doctor's stopped being, forgive me, um, a middle-aged white guy, and has become quite a dashing hero who kisses girls and does 
cool mm. stuff like riding motorbikes. Um, I think my, my least favourite part of this are the references to the classic series that are shoehorned in, with specific reference to the Master being put on trial by the Daleks. Um, what kind of Dalek voices are those? What kind of Daleks are those in the, in the, in the beginning? So that was a little bit... At the time, it was okay. It was like, oh, great, they're, they're referencing Jelly Babies and there's a the sonic screwdriver and so on and so forth. But this is very much America or Canada does Doctor Who. And you feel that at the very beginning, even with the theme tune. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, a lot of American TV shows start with a fanfare. Um, you think of the A team. It's ba 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 ba. But yep. in the TV movie, you, you've got the theme tune, but it feels upside down because whoever has arranged it has listened to the to the tune and then realised that the fanfare is in the middle. That ba da 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 da, and that's middle eight. Yeah, 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 exactly. And that is the bit that's emphasised, and it just feels slightly backward. And from there on in, it's like mm, that's odd. And then when you suddenly you've got Daleks that sound like um, Smurfs. Those are, the, you know, in a, in a great production, <laughs> and one that gives naturally gives birth to the modern the modern era. I would say it's just those two points. It was just a little bit backward in the theme tune, and the Daleks are odd. But apart from that, oh come on, it's 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 the TV movie. It's ace. Yeah, it's great. Five million dollars was spent on it, which back then staggered us Doctor Who fans. I tell you, mm. we we were over the moon that they'd spent more than fifty cents on an episode. <laughs> um, my least favourite would probably be. In a general way, the way the story was wound up, the the climax inside the Eye of Harmony room, mm. um, that it, it's probably similar to what you're saying. It's it's a little bit Americanized. Yeah. It's a little bit having them to have a need to have this big, incredible climax. Mm. And I, I wasn't particularly thrilled with you know having the Doctor trust up and having to do that mind slash regeneration transference going on because it was the story having to build in this need for a climax and then having to reverse the whole end of the universe stuff with 1999 so yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i mean for me all all the stuff leading up to that was really really enjoyable it was great to see the doctor back i thought paul mcgann was fantastic i really enjoyed the uh, grace holloway character mm. um but yeah just just the way they tied it up was probably a little bit rushed and just a little bit silly Quite so. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I understand that, that there are ways of telling stories, and there are ways of telling stories for television, and there are certain things that we will always find in this in that sort of family entertainment. But the whole "I'm bringing you back from the dead," I'm not sure that's something. The Doctor talks about that a lot and how dangerous it is. But then again, he also says, "Well, I know what I'm doing. You can't do this. I can." But it, it takes the character. Well, it does something that the that the new series started to do with with the Tenth Doctor. It takes the Doctor away from being a character and starts making him quite messianic, which is dangerous. Mm. All right, who's next? Must be um, that guy in the leather jacket, the Ninth Doctor. All right, so did I start last time? So this is this is for you. So which is your least favourite piece of Eccleston? And bear in mind, he knows where you live and he'll come around and just knack you. Yeah, and he hasn't got many stories. So really, when I decide to choose my least favourite... I'm choosing a fair chunk of a man's era as the Doctor. <laughs> so <laughs> my least favourite Eccleston story would have to be Boomtown. What? I'm afraid so. Now, merely because I think because of the stories that are around it, um, we'd come off the quite outstanding Empty Child Doctor dances, which, which I think are the, are, are the finest examples of the Eccleston era. Mm. The incredible story. I mean, the end of the Doctor dances with the Doctor raising his arms in the air saying, everyone lives. Mm. That brings a tear to the eye even now. Fantastic stuff. Mm. But then you get Boomtown. You're back to Cardiff. Mickey shows up and just spends the whole episode whining 
<laughs> whining about, oh, why can't you be with me, Rose? Oh, I really love you, blah, blah, blah. And Rose saying how much she loved the doctor and they're going to spend the rest of their life together and, you know, <laughs> let's go wash some dishes over the sink. And it, it just brought Doctor Who back down to the type of soap opera that I hate Doctor Who for. I'm not interested in your personal life. I want you to get in the TARDIS, go off with the Doctor and fight some alien nasties. I don't give a rat's whether, you know, you're going to break up with your boyfriend. I really don't. But this is the first time, though, that Doctor Who had started to say, well, there are consequences. There are consequences to travelling with this man. And someone is left behind. I fully appreciate your opinion on this. Uh, I just don't agree with it. I, mean, it it's, <laughs> I, 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 I know that this is one of the complaints that a lot of fans make about RTD era Doctor Who. It becomes a soap opera, but people get left behind. And I think this, is, this story is good because it starts to address that. Actually, no, Aliens of London begins to address that when Jackie belts them out in the mouth for saying you've, t- you've stolen my daughter for a year what? that's right because he comes back after a year without realising it and, and realises that life has gone on the estate that she's been listed as a missing person I'm not interested in the more I suppose base consequences hmm. I mean for me Mickey was always an incredibly annoying character <laughs> and, and then to devote more of a part of an episode to him and his whining um, just takes it away from actually telling the story Okay. Uh, you know, spending time in diners and whinging. Oh, but, or, but, but that's the thing. But that, that's what I like about this story. I mean, for me, one of the things that Eccleston does well is he, he there's a great uh, dynamic in his performance. You know, the loud bits are suitably loud, but the quiet bits are incredibly sinister. And w- mm. what I like is that when, when the Doctor's sat across the table from Blonde, and she's trying to kill him, and he's just, no, sorry, no, you can't do this, you can't do that. That, to me, is one of the moments where Eccleston is being the Doctor. I mean, in fact, there are three specific moments I'm thinking of. There's the part in World War Three where he warns the Slytherin that he's going, to, he's going to stop. He is the Doctor at that point. There's the very end where he thinks Ro- Rose is dead, and he just breaks out of prison like a... Com- oh, yeah, that's just... Dirty Doctor, we like that. But also, here, when he's sat there being a 900-year-old man who can see all the time in space, he knows what you're going to do, don't mess me about, I've caught the poison dart, stop it. You know, that's... Mm. I, I, I like it for that, but I, I fully appreciate your opinion. Yeah, and, and I suppose, I mean, if I can leave you one last thought, it's, mm. it's an incredibly personal view for me. I, I don't really agree with the end of the story. I'm, I'm not interested in second chances for mass murderers that... They then spend half an episode debating the point, and I just went sat there and went, no, no, killer, no, no, send her back. I'm I'm not interested in mercy for those sort of people when they've killed so many people for what is essentially just pure profit, because that's what they were trying to do: melt down planets so they could get a bit more money and. Mm. All that sort of nonsense. Yeah, but, we um, had, but, but, but we had this before. Though. This is the whole point of the Doctor. It's, he's never going to. He's never going to touch the wires together. He's never going to th- throw the switch. It's always I have to give you the choice. And I wonder if that's something in the in the, acad- in the academy that is all right. Now you're a time lord. You can't actually do anything nasty. You've got to give people choices. Yeah, the whole I don't time. know. For me, I I think she's had plenty of choices. She's had her first, second, third, and twelve billionth choice mm. to think that just because the Doctor's offering her a choice, that is the ultimate in going for either side of the. Um, equation mm. I, I know she, she passed that point a long long time ago well it, it's interesting but then again we have to factor in who the doctor is at this point in his lives he's you know, he's a bit damaged and it's like well okay i'm going to start you from the beginning again um and it, 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 i suppose in that way he's not so much giving her a choice as imposing a choice on her mm. but okay yeah that fair rocks. enough that rocks that rocks we're agreeing this isn't right <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
Well, again, as I said at the beginning, this is not. I've picked this story not because it's bad. It's just because it's my least favourite in this particular season. Uh, and I've gone for the long game. So everything about the story that you need to know is in the title. It sets up or it continues the arc that finishes with Bad Wolf and the Parting of the Ways. In as much as we start to see again consequences. Um, or consequences are set in this story that uh, absolutely feed into the end of the end of the season. But I've got to say, it it felt like who by numbers. And at the time of watching, I thought this is all right. Um, there's Simon Pegg there. I thought, yeah, this is this is kind of cool too. Um, when I saw the Marty Jagrafest of the Holy Hadrajasic Maxarodenfo, and it just looked like a pink blob with teeth on, I thought. No, okay. I no, sorry, not my favourite story. I think Adam in this is okay. It, it started all those Adam is Davros rumours. That was quite funny to watch um, fandom being played with. Mind you, no one's denied those rumours just yet. You never know. <laughs> um, but it's just nah, it's it's. I won't say it's who, who by numbers, but in a season of very strong stories, this is my least favourite. But I would accept yeah. this over nothing. Absolutely. I I think that's the major problem that's been levelled at this ever since it was on, that in, in a story that had already given us a reasonably strong beginning to this revamp of Doctor Who, we got Long Game. Mm. And people went, oh, this is probably what we're going to get when we get more ordinary episodes of Doctor Who. And it's, I think it's always been held up as an example of a poorer story when we consider a season as a whole full of really strong stories, which we'd had, had up to that point. I mean, remember the story that was on before Long Game, Dalek. Mm. How do you follow I mean, that? You, you, you come off Dalek and you get long game and you go, well, something's not quite right here. There's, you know, there's, it seems like there's a different production team working on those stories. Mm. Well, I guess the season, the season slows down, stops, draws breath, looks around and then sets off in a new direction in the, in the long game. Yeah. Uh, right. which, is, right. which is okay. But like I say, again, it's not bad. It's just my least favourite in that season. Okay, well, let's move on to the 10th Doctor. Now, this is probably where the hate mail's going to start, I think, because we have a lot of people out there that love um, David Tennant's portrayal as the Doctor, so I think we're probably going to have to be very careful about what what we choose as our least favourite. So, bearing that in mind, I'm going to let you go first, Tom. Well, okay, I found it hard, um, because... Uh, okay, so I'm conflicted. I had I wasn't sure if it was either Fear Her, the Doctor's daughter... Or Planet of the Dead. And I think, because I haven't made this choice yet, I'm going to go with Planet of the Dead for some of the reasons that we suggested before. Um, I.e., there'd been no Who on TV for a while. There was no. We knew there was very little coming after it, or that we we're going to have specials all that year. Um, the, casting, the casting that had been revealed was really, really good. But this story, again, it wanted to be a fanfare. It wanted to be a banging of drums. It wanted to be spectacular. It wanted to be um, fireworks. But it was it was all right. You know, it, 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 it's, <laughs> a bus crashes in Dubai. There's, a, there's, some, alien, there's some aliens in, a bo- in boiler suits. And there's loads of silverfish with metal teeth that fly through black holes. Okay, fine. Um, character development for the Doctor. Negligible. Um, did, you know, <laughs> does Lady Christina look good in those leggings? Oh yeah, yeah, but is 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 it is it worth being one of five stories that we get that that year? No, it would happily have sat in the middle of a season, which is probably where it originally went. But as one of a few, only a few episodes that year, no, sorry. So I'm coming down on Planet of the Dead. Could have done better. Yeah, that, that, that's that's probably a pretty fair call because I mean I I think it does suffer from that twin dilemma effect mm. that we hadn't had any new Who for you know four or five months. I think at that point. Mm. 
Um, and then we got Planet of the Dead. And then we got to sit there and think about it. And I don't, I don't think Waters of Mars was until about mid-November or something, or something like that in yep. 2009. Yeah, it was in the autumn. So what? We had many, many, many months to sit there and think about, was Planet of the Dead any good? And um, it, it gave people time, I think, to pick it apart a little bit more than they otherwise would have if it had been part of a normal season. Oh, quite so. I mean, it, as I say, it sets things up for the end nicely, but no. Just no, sorry. Um, so yeah, so my choices would have been that I was going to go with the Doctor's Daughter, but then its redeeming qualities came back to me. Um, so yeah, and those redeeming qualities being that it is actually quite dense and dark, and it makes us think about time. Fear her is just too obvious. So yeah, Planet of the Dead could have, it, it sh- I wanted it to be better than it was, and so and this is an, a subjective Ooh, thing. There you go. Yeah. Well, my choice will probably come as no surprise to anyone who's a long-term listener of the of the DWP or even the DWO WhoCast when I was uh, co-hosting with Tony many years ago because this story got under my skin as soon as it was broadcast. Mm. Um, Unicorn and the Wasp. What? From Series 4. This story, you've probably got a lot of our listeners, long-term listeners nodding their head going, oh, God, Trevor's going to talk about Unicorn and the Wasp again. But they're wrong. Yeah. Well, well they, they weren't wrong then and they're not wrong now. Um Go on. Uh, this story got under my skin then. Um, I thought it was irreverent. I thought it was unnecessarily comical. I thought the, the main, in inverted commas, alien slash villain was one of the most laughable things I've ever seen. Most of the performances were dire. Um, <gasps> everything about this I hated with a passion. Christopher I Benjamin. I really, really did. Um, I, I, I didn't expect it to be so incredibly comical. I, I expected a bit of humour in it, sure, because, you know, you have the TARDIS crew meeting Agatha Christie. Mm. Uh, but, oh, just every second of this story just wound me up even more. You know, the constant references to books she hadn't written in this, oh, aren't we a clever writer type of way? And, you know, the horrible wasp that was the villain in the end hiding in the vicar. Spoilers, by the way. Um, <laughs> everything about it just really really annoyed me it's the first story of that of the season to be filmed you can see that Catherine Tate is settling into her character because she's still playing um, the Catherine Tate comedy experience that she you know that should just come off and I get that you know you fall into into comfortable things that you that you do when you're doing something new and unusual but I don't oh come on I, 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 if you don't like comedy I see why you don't like it that's the, that's the most generous I can be that if you don't like com- comedy I can see why you wouldn't like it but for what it is and where it is, it's it's better it's better than uh, Planet of the Dead for me. <laughs> I'll watch Planet of the Dead any day. Unicorn and the Wasp I've only watched twice, mm. and that was only for review purposes back in the uh, in the old WhoCast days. Well, never ever watched it again. Not interested. If there was a way I could wipe it from my DVD, I would. Cynic. Right, okay then. So, so, so here's an interesting one. Um, the man with the floppy hair and the bow tie himself, number 11. So I'm going to give this to you. What are you saying? Is it Victory of the Daleks or not? <laughs> it's interesting, actually, because, I mean, really, it, it should be Victory of the Daleks. It really, really should, because 
more so it being in a season that has such incredibly strong stories in it. There is barely a dud story in Series 5, as far as I'm concerned, and, and Victory of the Daleks does stand out. Um, I'm going to pick something really, really, really modern and go for The Doctor, The Widow and The Wardrobe. Um, <gasps> I didn't like that at all. It, again, I think it's too comical for its own good. Um, I didn't really like any of the performances. I thought um, it sort of fell back into that lazy RTD type style where it you you could be reminded of every other movie ever created somewhere within that production. Um, yeah. I thought Bill Bailey was absolutely wasted for his guest role. The the only redeeming feature for this story, I think, is that it mentions Androzani, and that got me really excited. But then I started watching the story again, and I wasn't excited anymore. Um, that whole thing at the end with the fighter pilot with the landing on the lawn. I mean, sure, it's a Christmas episode, but my goodness. I almost contracted diabetes. It was that saccharin. Oh, oh wow. I thought we were going to get all the way through this, and I'd, and I'd be thinking this is a bit odd because I agree with you, but you're so wrong. Um, <laughs> the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe is a present to be slowly unwrapped, and it, of course it's a retelling of the Narnia idea, or it's, or it's Doctor Who uh, co-opting that particular method of storytelling to tell a Doctor Who story. Um, the Doctor is actually very, very, very second Doctor in this, because he's like, oh, I think I know what's going on, but do I? Um, how's this going to work? Do I actually have to get involved? Criticism might, could really be that the Doctor doesn't, so much lead events as guide them but then again maybe that's what time was supposed to do um i can't make you like it but i can i can think of l- stories which are less satisfying than this it's an, it's yeah it, yes it is a happy ending yes it is a bit of a christmas card but it was christmas and i and i like the idea of, of people getting into a big blue box which is bigger on the inside than the outside that's not the tardis yeah i can work with that well if you can think of a worse choice then hit me with it uh the lodger really yeah why? The Lodger feels rather self-conscious to me. and that It could just be my visceral reaction to um, the scene where Matt's playing football and the other team's going, Doctor, Doctor, Doctor. It's like, hang on, this isn't right. The performances from the two other leads, yes, they're good, but there's something about the story itself. It's just doesn't hang together right I just, again it's not that I don't like the story it's not that it's bad it's very good it's just it's my least favourite episode in this season maybe I'll come back to it in a few years time and think oh it's actually quite good mm. actually I was going to ask Tom whether um, stories like its unofficial sequel Closing Time mm. redeem the lodger a little bit more for you because what well, I mean you're, you're, you're trying to say it's not I mean you don't hate it but it's your least favourite mm. so yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm sort of, I'm sort of still getting the impression that you kind of still really like it. Okay, I'll be straight. It was difficult to try and pick something of uh, Matt Smith's era to date that I really wasn't keen on. I mean, like, you know, there are bits of the Beast Below that I don't like, but at the same time, there's that fantastic moment where he starts screaming at people. No one can talk to me today. No, you, no one in the human race can talk to me today. I, it, it actually made me jump. I thought, well, okay, we like you. That, you know, the, the, that whole voting booth thing, the Queen. But I can forgive all that because there's some, there are some great performances in it. Um, in the Lodger, there are some good performances as well. But what I had to weigh up was, well, which, which, which story that I've seen so far from Matt Smith did I find least satisfying? And it was The Lodger because it felt a bit as if the, the fourth wall had been kicked in. There are moments in The Big Bang that I'm not keen on. That whole grandstanding moment where he's shouting at the, at the drive-in and all those spaceships flying above Stonehenge, for me, was a bit embarrassing. But even still, it balanced out quite nicely by with all the other performances in the story so i can't say that 
was my least favourite story. I had the, the bits that I didn't like. But overall, The Lodger had the most moments which I thought, stop it, come on. It's still good. It's still very good. But it's not my favourite part of that season. Like I said, it was hard because there's, you know, it's, it's a great production with some great actors and sort of high production values. James Corden can do it. The actual story, the comedy in it is, is great. So what, you're going to go and live with monkeys now? Uh, it, it's, it's a very funny line. Um, but it's just not my favourite story. I, I would watch it again, but it's not my favourite story that season. Wow, there you go. I, I think that's the first one I've actually been genuinely surprised about, Tom. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I do have it in me. <laughs> Okay, this feels like a pretty good place for Trev and I to take a break and for us to hear from some other members of the Doctor Who podcast family. So, Ian and Michelle, over to you. I'm going to start out straight away with The Twin Dilemma. I can keenly remember on watching season 21 as a kid, enjoying all the stories. I was loving Peter Davidson. I was loving the companions and the foes. And then the new Doctor came along and... Wow, what a disappointment. The Doctor's characterization, the dull and turgid plot, the whole fighting with Perry thing, it was a real shock to the system at the time and really marks, to my mind, the exact point where Classic Who started to decline. I have come to the Sixth Doctor era fairly recently and my experience with the Sixth Doctor has often been watching things like The Twin Dilemma and saying, well, that's not as bad as I've heard. There are elements that I like about it. The wonderful bird costumes, kind of the half bird people, I think are visually impressive, for instance. But I'm going to go with one I just saw for the first time within the last few weeks, and that's The Mark of the Rani. I actually like the performance of the Doctor in this episode, and I like the outdoor beautiful location setting, but I really don't care for how either the Master or the Rani are portrayed. I think both characters suffer from their portrayal. The Rani, I think, comes across as a pushover, and the Master comes across as a bully without any real intellect who can't come up with a plan for himself, so he just goes and bullies the Rani who lets him do it. One of the ongoing things I find strange in fandom is this continual chatter about the return of the Rani to the new series. As you say, this was not a particularly strong story, and this was the stronger of the two Rani stories. The other one's even worse, and I struggle to find why anyone would actually want to revisit the character of the Rani in modern Doctor Who. Well, she did have a gorgeous TARDIS. Maybe it's her TARDIS. Maybe we could have the return of the Rani's TARDIS without the Rani. That might work. Okay, so you've already alluded to the Seventh Doctor and some of the stories from that era. Was Time and the Rani your least favourite, or was it something else? Once you get to the Seventh Doctor's era, you do start to find, you're struggling to find the good stories, never mind uh, pick out ones that are less than ideal. And just to put that into some context, I really like Sylvester McCoy's portrayal of the Doctor. I like the building blocks that the series had put together within the era, but the stories really were, were dire in many respects. Time and the Rani, as you mentioned, is a strong contender, which many people would put as their vote. But for me, it's going to have to be another fan favourite, The Happiness Patrol. And I know that there's all this stuff about how it's an allegory and there's a bit of politics in there and this and that, and there's a bit of irony. But honestly, Bertie Bassett as the monster... This is the point where I started to become embarrassed to be a Doctor Who fan because it just looks so bad. I look at stories like that and think, you can see exactly why they cancelled it. Well, again, for me, Happiness Patrol is one of the slightly more than half of the Sylvester McCoy episodes that I haven't seen yet. The Candyman is a highlight. (laughs) 
But of the ones I've seen for Sylvester McCoy, uh, I'm going to pick Ghost Light. Uh, I know there are certain things that recommend it. Um, the setting is gorgeous. It's an interesting story for Ace. But, you know, I struggle with the incomprehensibility of the plot. And another thing that bugs me a little bit about that one is that I get tired of sort of the negative stereotypes of, of clergy in, in some of the stories. And this one, I think, crosses the line a little bit into being mean-spirited. I think you're being slightly harsh on Ghostlight there. I thought that it gets an E for effort for me when you've got stories like Time and the Rani to put it up against, which is just rubbish. The fact that it's trying and has got some redeeming elements actually makes it stand out in that era. So on to the Eighth Doctor, we really have, in terms of video, we have one choice. What did you think of the movie? There's some lovely elements to it. McGann is fantastic. I just love his character. And the plot rattles along at a reasonable pace. Some of the other pieces really don't hang together. And, you know, everyone knows the elements that uh, are controversial. I think Eric Roberts as the master is completely out of place within a Doctor Who story. And in some ways, I think you have the seeds here of the, the insane cackling master that we got in the new series. But overall, the, the movie isn't as bad as people would have you believe. But it certainly has significant flaws. And I would say my least favourite part of the movie is Eric Roberts. I would actually agree with you there. I I enjoy the movie to a large extent and uh, certainly don't dislike it as much as a lot of people do. But being a fan of the master as a character, uh, I would agree with you. This is not one of my favourite presentations or portrayals of the master. But I'm going to cheat a little bit. Since I actually like the film fairly well, uh, I'm going to cheat and go off canon and go into Big Finish because that's where Paul McGann has done so much of his work as the Doctor. And uh, I do have a least favorite from there that I'll mention. It was early in his time in Big Finish, and it's uh, a story called Minuet in Hell, uh, which has Charlie getting stuck in the Hellfire Club, which is a men's club where the women run around in very skimpy costumes and get ogled by, by the men. And I, I just thought it was degrading. And on the other hand, this is another one where the doctor was not himself. He was uh, a patient in this, this medical center and was not in his right mind for a significant part of the story. And I tend to get impatient when the doctor isn't there. Onward and forward into the uh, the new series and the new era uh, what did you think about Ninth Doctor? If you go back and revisit this first series, it was a very, very strong series. And I struggle to find a least favourite in here. I'm going to pick the combination of Aliens of London and World War Three, with the, the farty monsters and the, the slapstick and childishness that crept in at this point. And I don't think they, as a creature, were particularly well realised. I think this was probably the weak point of this season, but it was a very strong season. I am right on board with you. That's the one that I picked. Farting Aliens does not do it for me. Also, as I watched this through the first time, we were still early in New Doctor Who. It was still finding its way, and I was still trying to figure out whether this was going to be a series that I really could enjoy. I thought, oh no, if this is the direction this story is going, then I may not love this show the way I used to love this show, and maybe this isn't for me. And that was a terribly depressing thought, because I was so happy to see Doctor Who back. So uh, this, this story carried a whole lot of weight for me, and uh, I was so pleased uh, when... Uh, what was it, Dalek, that came after these two stories? Uh, that really got things back on track, and it was good to go from there. Moving on to David Tennant. For me, I think it's going to be the combination of Daleks in Manhattan and evolution of the Daleks. Didn't like the pig slaves. Wasn't sure I bought into the idea that Daleks would want to hybridize with humans. I mean, 
The whole point of a Dalek is that they think everything else is so far beneath them that it should just be exterminated. I think you're right that it's quite a weak Dalek story and makes the classic mistake of, of just thinking we could do this rather than whether we should do this. But I'm going to have to disagree with you quite strongly here, not just in terms of what's the, the poorest episode, but that it's a difficult choice because, honestly, End of Time romps home with it. End of Time is diabolical. It's terrible. The plot makes no sense. The characterizations are dreadful. The Time Lords are woefully misused. And other than a couple of lovely character moments with Wilf, the entire story was dreadful. And then you get into the awful goodbye farewell tour from David Tennant as he goes around saying goodbye to all his companions before he regenerates. It was one of the worst stories ever, never mind the worst stories of David Tennant. I disagree with you there. It's not one of my favourites, but neither is it one of my least favourites. Well, let's move on then into to the finale here with the 11th Doctor. A little bit like Tom Baker, I just love watching Matt on screen. I, I can watch him all day long and be really entertained by his characterization. So I'm really struggling to pick a, a, a least favourite here. But I'm going to go for one that's not going to be massively controversial, I don't think, which is Victory of the Daleks. I did actually enjoy this. I don't think it's nearly as bad as people make out. But there are a couple of poor moments within it. I think it needed a little bit more time and space to make the theme of the Daleks being the servants breathe a little bit more, as it did in Power of the Daleks, for example. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the new Daleks. I thought it was weird how they were built up and all these Daleks come out and then you don't see them for the next two years. The moment which really seals it is the talking the bomb out of exploding, which makes no sense. Victory of the Daleks was a contender for me as well, but in the end, I went with the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe, partly because I just thought the story was pretty thin and fairly shallow and a little bit trite. Also, in the wake of the Christmas Carol, that was such a great homage, I was really looking for something a little more uh, significant when it came to elements of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And I was fairly disappointed when, when that didn't play out. I mean, we had a couple kind of slight nods to the, the C.S. Lewis book, but nothing that really paralleled it in, in the way the story the year before had done. So combination of disappointment at what I didn't get and lack of excitement about what I did get. I've only seen that one, the one time on first broadcast, which was on Christmas Day with the family all around. And we all had an enjoyable time watching it. And it seemed to tickle at a nice old pace and did what it set out to do, which was to be an enjoyable Christmas romp. We adore Doctor Who. There's nothing that I can really complain about too much. I look forward to uh, chatting with you at some point about our least favorite 12th, 13th, 14th, 20th Doctor stories. Definitely. One thing that's come out for me quite strongly when I've been reviewing back through the past stories to pick, make choices for this is how difficult it is. It really is a very difficult task to pick out clunkers. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen, listeners of the Doctor Who podcast, a two-week, two-episode extravaganza where um, the majority of the DWP team have laid bare their thoughts on their least favourite parts of Doctor Who history. Have you agreed? Have you disagreed? Mm. Do you think Tom is totally off his rocker? 
<laughs> Please send in your thoughts to feedback at thedoctorpodcast.com. We'd love to hear what you think about our choices, what your choices for your least favourite stories are and, and the reasons why. And we would certainly love to devote a uh, upcoming feedback episode to those very thoughts. So, yeah. Right. I've got a question for you just before we go. Um, for Doctors 1 to 5, which is your least favourite story? Wow. That's that's a that's a long time period of Doctor Who to uh, choose from mm. when it comes to a least favorite story. My choice would have to be the first Doctor story, The Sensorites. Oh. Uh, it, it, it's a story I think I've said on the show before. I've not avoided for years, but certainly haven't seen at all up until its recent DVD release, and, and we reviewed it on the show. And it's just slow as molasses as far as the story is concerned for me. Mm. It's a very, very set-bound story and it shows mm. all the um, um, principal cast are moving very slowly and stuff that's obvious to the viewer, which you think should be obvious to the characters in the story, don't seem to happen. Um, yeah, I, I, it, it's, it's not a story I really enjoy and, and I'm not a particular fan of the aliens in that story either. I don't think their uh, costumes are very well realised. Okay, that works. That works for me. Dare I ask you, Tom, what your least favourite story from the first five Doctors is? Yeah, you can, actually. And, um, okay, I'm not trying to be controversial, but Genesis of the Daleks, put it in a box and bury it. Oh, you are trying to be controversial, no, Tom. I, no. I think you're trying to make this into a five-hour podcast. No, not Please tell me why Genesis of the Daleks is your least favourite. I've heard someone retcon it and say it's the first shot of the time war being fired, and I can, uh, okay, I can work with that. But it's... It's a Pertwee story that just happens to have Tom Baker in it. It's a six-parter that could happily fit into four parts. Fandom is, helps me with this because it is, to me, it is so overrated. The Daleks are no for the next 20 years cease being a real threat. They're just like Davros's heavies. There are parts of it that are fantastic. There are scenes which are great that the Have I the Right scene is is a wonderful setup. The relationship between the Doctor and Sarah Jane is great inside this. Um, the Khaled Thal myth being set up is again great. It sets up the second history of the Daleks. But to me way overrated way overrated too long and i won't say it was clearly not written for tom baker but i can see john pertwee being a a more obvious and better doctor in this overrated i i don't know where to begin i really (laughs) don't i really don't it's it's got i mean you you've said it yourself it's got so many classic iconic scenes in it i mean certainly the uh, touching of the two wires together you know the willy or won't he scene um is is one of the pinnacles of Doctor Who. Oh, Every character act. in it is 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 acting their absolute hearts out. Uh, Nida is is an incredible villain. I mean, he, he almost eclipses Davros to a certain extent. Better than Sarah's Jack. Daleks are menacing by purely being understated. <laughs> sure, to a certain extent, they are even Davros's lackeys at this point, but they have a will of their own that is something that has carried on from the early years of Doctor Who that is crystallise so perfectly nah. in this story nah. that even though they are being controlled they, they break the shackles of that control and at the time basically kill Davros the the scientist that is um, disenfranchised with the whole thing that works with the Doctor and, and his comeuppance along with all his colleagues at the end, he's absolutely fantastic Harry gets some great things to do he, he, he oh. gets to be resourceful as does Sarah Jane oh. um, no this story drips tension 
and menace and intrigue and mystery. Yeah, the tension it, is that it goes on for, for two episodes too long, and the menace is oh, that it's going to keep Tom. coming like a tidal wave. Tom, Tom, Tom. I, I'm, I'm just going to leave it there and say thank you, everyone, for <laughs> listening to the Doctor Who podcast. It's been a pleasure to have your company, although I'm not sure about Tom anymore. We look forward to um, talking to you next week. Where we will be, actually, it'll be just myself and Ian next week. We're having a little bit of a geek out. Cool. But I won't tell you what that's about because, well, I don't know what it is yet myself. That's the beauty of the geek out. So we look forward to your company next week on the Doctor Podcast. So, Tom? Yes. I'm sending you my copy of Genesis of the Daleks. (laughs) And I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. I've got a copy of it here. It's very rarely opened. In the meantime... (laughs) If you'd like to join in and tell us what your favourite and worst episodes are of the whole Doctor Era, please do. Genesis of the Daleks, put it in a bag, bury it. Take it easy, bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook and via the Doctor Who podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.